0: Verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30 tells us, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And then in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, or that's better translated, since God is for us, who can be against us? Father, we do come this morning. I I pray that our hearts are prepared now to hear your word, that we would remember that, again, our our ringers want to be off our phone, um, silence from our phones, mobile devices, because, Lord, uh, we want to be free to hear what you're declaring in these verses that we just read verses that can be difficult to understand but they are written to bring us comfort lord i I pray that our ears would be open to you spiritually and and lord as we may not have a complete full understanding of this but we can have clarity we can we can go away knowing that you are for us and so lord i pray that we are teachable that our soft uh, our hearts are soft right now and you would take your word and plant it within our hearts and so Lord uh, thank you that we're here and do the work that you want to do right now as we cover these verses um, minister to us Uh, Lord take these things not only looking at the application but what's the implication for us Um, and Lord what it means Um, Lord to to know that um, this is all headed somewhere Um, our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been traveling through this chapter, we have seen the, the apostle named Paul has been telling us as he's been moved his, uh, by the Spirit of God, of course, that we who are believers, that the chapter opened up with that there's no now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. The enemy comes along and condemns us. But in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And we have been told in this chapter that us as believers that we have the Spirit of God that dwells in us, that is in verse 9, and as we are born again by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts, we don't walk in the flesh any longer. We, live, uh, we don't live in the flesh. We're not to be carnally minded, but we are to walk in the spirit. We're to be spiritually minded. And then, as we travel through this amazing chapter, that the spirit of God we have learned and discovered bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. That we have not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption as we cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, daddy is literally what it means. And we just have that peace and assurance as the Holy Spirit gives us that peace and assurance that we belong to him. Listen, you and I who are in Christ, we're the only ones that can say that. We can address God as Abba, as Father. And we don't have the spirit of fear. And sometimes Christians have that. Matter of fact, talked to a, a lady this week. that you know, She has this fear feeling condemned because what had happened in the past. And she feels like God is after her and going to judge her and take her son away from her and just this unhealthy terror and fear of the Lord. Listen, we have reverence for the Lord. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. But we have the spirit of adoption that we can call out, Abba, Father, that he is for us as we're going to learn, and he loves us, and there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And we have learned that if we are children of God, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then we ended, if you were with us last time in our study, discovering that the Spirit of God also is there to help us in our weaknesses. The Spirit of God searches the heart and makes intercession for you and for me. And now as we come to the verses that we just read, it's, it's interesting. And perhaps these are difficult passages that we just went over because they can be difficult to fully understand. How do we understand all of this? What do we do with these verses? We, we read about predestination and foreknowledge and being called. And it is attached to one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. That is verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is a verse that we like to give to others. To try to bring them consolation, to bring them comfort. It is great plaque material You'll see it written on a card. It is uh, something, a verse that we will quote to others. Uh, It is spoken when someone is going through sufferings that Paul just wrote about in this chapter here, or when someone's going through a loss. You know someone's going to say that God's working for good. And perhaps it is a verse that we're not ready to hear at that moment, or we don't want to hear it. Or it's so difficult to hear. But I do want to remind us of something. That Paul, that he did write this to give us great comfort and consolation. These Christians that he is writing to 2,000 years ago are young Christians, and as he writes that God is working all things together for good, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, we know that then he begins to talk about in verses 29 and 30 about God's faithfulness to us, how he foreknew us, he predestined us, he chose us, and he's going to bring us to glorification. And you see, Paul did not write these verses down so it would bring to us in endless debate. And and people like to debate these things, and they are determined to have their view. And he didn't write these things down so we can determine, am I a five-point Calvinist? Am I a five-point Arminianist? And all of that. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider these things. And I'm not saying we can't discuss these verses. And we know that it's important for us to have good theology. Those of you who've been around here long enough, you know I feel that way. And we can discuss these things, but keep in mind as we look at these verses in its context, he writes, what shall we say to these things as we read in verse 31? If God is for us or since God is for us, who can be against us? There have been literally, when it comes to verses 29 and 30, particularly that we just read, there have been tens of thousands Hundreds of thousands of volumes and books and articles and blogs written on those verses. And I can read the discussions on them and still wrestle with what is being told to me. One particular scholar, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote volumes on those two verses that we just read here, verse 29 and 30 in the, of Romans chapter 8. He wrote volumes on this subject, of predestination and all of this. And he, as he wrote much on it, towards the end of his life, he would come to the conclusion, I believe it, yet I don't fully understand it. And as we go through this, I'm going to try in my limited knowledge, explain this. And I know that there are going to be those this morning that perhaps will not be satisfied. And over the years of teaching the Bible, I have had those who have come to me or call me, or email me, or whatever. And there are those who truly want to have more clarity and understanding in all of this. But there are also those who will come along, and they will dig their trenches, and get out their spiritual grenades, and they'll do battle over these verses. They'll go to war over it with other Christians. And sometimes when I have these discussions, by the time it's over, I have to reach for my Tylenol. When it's all said and done because of the headache that I have. You know, the argument, since God foreknew, then he plans out those who are going to accept his son, and he predestines them because he knows ahead of time, and if he foreknows, he acts, and we don't have a choice really, and others say, no, 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 we have a choice, and it's our responsibility to respond, but no, if we're chosen and predestined, then once you're saved, you're always saved, and no, 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 if God chose us, then we can choose to walk away from him, and we can lose our salvation, and at the end of the day, they are argument continues, and we can reach for that tile and all that etc., because it all rattles around in our heads, and it's so much to take in. So let's just take a step back. Let's take a step back and back up a little bit and look at this carefully. He has told us, if you were with us last week in verse 26, when we don't know. In other words, when we don't know how to pray, oftentimes we, when we're faced with the difficulties in the trials, in the loss, when life seems to be falling apart, when a loved one dies, or news comes from the doctor that's not good, when fear grips our hearts, when as a parent we have a son or daughter or maybe a grandchild that becomes a prodigal, when you are betrayed by someone that hurt you, And bitterness begins to come into your heart, and life is painful, and we don't know how to pray. We are told that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And as I mentioned last week, and I want to remind you again, Paul's borrowing that word from Dr. Luke, who used it in his gospel in recording the story about Mary and Martha. And there's Martha in the kitchen, and she's, she's overwhelmed, and she's overburdened, and she finally goes in and says, Lord, tell my sister to come in here and help me. And when we face those times where we're overwhelmed and overburdened and it's too much, the paracletas, par means to come alongside of. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us, to help us in our weaknesses, make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, groanings inexpressible according to the word of God. He searches the heart, and for that I am so thankful. That's when we don't know. We don't know. But then we read that we can know this. That all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, verse 28. You see, people can look at, they can read verse 28 and say, well, that can't be true. How can that be true? All things are working together for good. And they have their reasons. I feel forsaken of God. I am in so much pain. I can't believe that I'm in this situation or experience this loss. It can't be true. Or some people say, I wish it was true. I wish God's word was true. But because this has happened, I'm trying to do these mental gymnastics, and it's so hard to get settled on this. Some say, I hope this is true. And keep in mind that Paul, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, But we know Not that we feel, but we know. Somehow we can understand. We know that in our lives when something's going on that is so difficult, we don't know how to pray. I feel like everything's falling apart, and in my heart it hurts so much that I have a hole in my heart. And many of you, you have been there. Or maybe you are there today. And the Lord says that I'm there to send the Holy Spirit to you to help you. And those groanings inexpressible, and you can know this, not feel, but you can know that all things work together for good for those who love God. This is for the believer. Listen, the chapter started out for those who are believers. There's no now, no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who are believers, that we have the spirit of adoption, not of fear, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, we belong to him. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Because we are believers, we have the spirit of God that intercedes when we don't know, but we can know this. It is the truth that we can know because this is a step in the journey that we are in that he is working all things together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You see, our lives are leading somewhere. It isn't that where we die and that's the end of the story. It is leading to, as Peter was writing to a group of Christians in his first epistle that was hurting and going through persecution, he says that we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, that is there reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God by faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more you know, precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It brought the Christians comfort to know that there is an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, Fadeth not away that reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. All of this is going somewhere for us. And along the way, there is the hurting and the sufferings. And Paul writes, when we don't know how to pray for things. And Paul, listen, was no lightweight, was he? He was beaten, he was in prison, he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was hungry. He was sick. He was all alone. He writes, there was a time when I was pressed beyond measure. I was despaired even of life. And he says, there are times when we don't know how to pray, but we can know this, that all things, listen, not most things, but all things. And notice he doesn't make any apologies here. He says, all things are working together for good. And that's a key to consider working together for good. Not all things produce good. You see, when we have tragedy in our life or difficulty or loss, we can look at it and say, how's this good? How did that produce good? We're surrounded by a number of things that do not produce good. He didn't say things in and of themselves produce good. There's often hurt and brokenness and injustice. He writes that all things work together. What is he telling us? He's telling us that God's sovereign hand is never removed from our lives. And that all things are working together for the good, for those who love God. And what is that? To be called according to his purpose. Okay, what is that? The next verse says to be conforming to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn, you know, among many brethren. That's the good. There's no higher calling than to be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. There's an eternal perspective is what he's telling us, an eternal picture. This life is but for a moment, and the apostle writes in verse 18, that I consider it. I've added it up. I've come to the conclusion that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. All things are working together for that, and it is for those who love God. In our lives... As his children, having the spirit of adoption, join heirs with Christ, all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, not our purpose. And in his purpose, he foreknows and he predestines and he calls. It's deeper than what we can fully understand. And you see, when we don't understand having the Holy Spirit there to help us and to intercede for us with groanings inexpressible, then we can stand on that which we can know. And that is somehow in eternity's perspective and in eternity's purposes, all things are working together for good. Somehow. And one day, one day, We're all going to be together, as the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 19. That we will be together and we will say, Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. His ways are not our ways, Isaiah declares. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, says the Lord, higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. And you see, what can happen is, and this is very natural for us, is we can boil things down to the temporary, the here and now, not the eternal. And God does love us. And he does bless us on this side of eternity. But I also know this, that when life is painful and confusing, when we struggle because we don't even know how to pray and the tears begin to flow and we just sit quiet before the Lord, that we can know this, that somehow in eternity's perspective, all things are working together for good. Not one particular thing. We say, how can this that happen be good, but it is working together for good because it screams to you and to me that this life is temporary. It's but a vapor, and eternity is real. And we have a living hope speaking to us about heaven and glory. It is working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he describes that for us. Let's read again verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among uh, many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, God not only has the ability to work all things together for good, but listen, he has the ability to see us through to glorification. And as I read these verses and consider them, I see God working in a person and then completing that work in them. He is the author of salvation. Listen from beginning to end. From whom he foreknew. Can you imagine if he had foreknowledge? Isaiah says concerning God, He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. Can you imagine if you had foreknowledge, absolute foreknowledge? You would think that would be great. That I could pick the winning numbers for the jackpot on the, you know, Powerball or whatever they call it. We think that that would be wonderful, but we don't have absolute foreknowledge. Only the Lord has that. And I mention that because people can really struggle and debate and all kinds of confusion comes from these two verses, especially with predestination, whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his son, whom he predestined, he called and them also justified and also glorified. So people debate, churches split, there's arguments, there's, you know, endless discussions and all of this. Do you believe in predestination? Well, we're, we're elected, we're chosen. Or do we choose? Well, if we're chosen, then maybe he's chosen some to go to hell, double election. And we know that's not what the Bible says. There are those who say, well, if we're chosen, then why even go out and witness? And I'm a Calvinist and I'm an Arminius. Yeah, we do have a choice, and and on and on it goes. And the reason that as I read this, it brings me comfort in these verses. And remember, he's trying to bring them comfort that, Lord, the work of salvation is yours and you're going to bring it to completion. And I know that Paul, as he declares whom he foreknew, he also predestined and called. Now Ephesians tells you and me that he chose us before the foundation of the world and again it leads to debate when i come to that i read really that you chose me before the foundation of the world you set your love on me before the world was even made i marvel at that and god is eternal he has foreknowledge he knows everything now let me ask you do you have foreknowledge do i know but he does And everyone who becomes a believer or will become a believer, he foreknew. And he foreknew us with a purpose in mind, and that is what? Don't lose this as we're going through this, to be conforming to the image of a son. And as I said, that's the highest calling that you and I can have. The Lord would say in Jeremiah chapter 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. It was Paul that would write about the Lord, you know, would ordain him as his ministry before he was converted there on the road to Damascus, as he's writing to the Galatian believers, before he was born. So God foreknew, that doesn't surprise me because he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And why did he predestine me or choose me? I don't know why. I just rejoice in it. And I'm going to enjoy it. I do know this. It's not because I'm such a wonderful, great guy. And God looked down and he said, you know, I I knew that you would be so wonderful. And you're so intelligent. And you're so sincere. And I think I'll choose you. You know, the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, he said, I didn't choose you as a nation because you're great in number and so powerful. You're a bunch of, you know, stiff-necked, rebellious people. He chose us because of his love and his compassion and his grace and his goodness and his sovereignty. We're trophies of his grace. And God choosing us does not mean that he chooses others for hell. We do have a choice. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that means choice. Whosoever, I like that word because that includes every single one of us. Jesus would say on that hillside, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. That's an invitation. He would stand up in Jerusalem at the temple, and he would say, come to me, all of you who thirst, and as you drink of me, the living waters, you will have, you know, torrents of living water flowing from your innermost, That's a choice. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it tells us, Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is all going to come to repentance? No. But his desire that we all would come to him. You see, love does demand a choice. Saturday, we'll have our, you know, marriage conference. Sue and I have been married for nearly 30 years. When I asked Sue to marry me, I didn't tie her up in a chair, put a gun to her head and said, you're going to marry me. I didn't force her because love demands a choice. He has chosen us, predestined us, and he allows us to choose. You say, well, I I don't fully understand. Well, that's okay, neither do I. And the reason is, is because our minds are finite. He's infinite. He has foreknowledge. I don't. So if you're wondering, if you're here today, you're listening to this message, wherever you're at, and you're thinking, well, am I chosen? Did God choose me? Then choose him. Give your heart to him, to Jesus, and you'll be chosen. Submit to him. Love him. Believe in him with your heart. And he wants to do that work. He's predestined you to be conforming to his image. And then as Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And notice him he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. Notice that it's all in the past tense here. It's as good as done. God will bring us to that place of being glorified as he will complete it in us. It's certain. So these verses tell me of the fact that he chose me, he began a good work in me, proves that he'll be faithful to complete it. And so Paul now telling us of God's everlasting love as he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think that Paul, as he was writing this letter, He now is just reflecting on God's goodness. In light of the fact that we're all lost, that's chapters 1, 2, and 3, and God has provided a way for salvation, faith in Jesus Christ alone, that's chapters 3, 4, and 5, and that he has set us apart. We are dead to sin. We're dead to the law. We now walk in the spirit. That there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's working all things together for good for those who love him. That we have been chosen by God. And he will bring us to that place of being glorified. If God be for us, who can be against us? And Paul, as he will be concluding this chapter, we'll see next time, that he just is marveling at the goodness and the love and grace of our Lord. It starts out with there's no condemnation. It's going to end with there's no separation from his love. Listen, don't ever think that the Lord doesn't love you, that he's just fed up with you or indifference to you or holds you out at arm's length. He loves you even as Romans 5 says that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He proved his love for us. He provided forgiveness and salvation. And as he took that Roman gibbet, that cross through the streets of Jerusalem and to that place of execution, it was because of his love for you. And he knew that you'd be here 2,000 years later on this cold February morning, 2019. And he says, don't ever doubt my love for you, that you are valuable to him. And there's no condemnation. And you have the spirit of adoption. And the paracletus, the Holy Spirit is there to comfort your helper to come alongside and help you when you're overwhelmed. And know this, I love you so much that I am working all things together for good for those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. And Paul will begin to tell us how God is for us, that his love remains with us. There's no separation. If God is for us, don't forget, because too many Christians kind of doubt that. They doubt that God is for them. He is for you. Listen, he is for you. He proved it by going to the cross, and he's for you right now. He wants to breathe life into you and for you to know him and walk with him and enjoy him. And since God is for us, who can be against us? Well, we know the world comes against us and Satan, but those things will war against us. But the idea here is that Satan, what is the world and Satan compared to God? Don't ever think that Satan is the opposite equal of God because he's not. Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. God just spoke and he fell like lightning. Satan is a created being. He's not the opposite equal of God. He's powerful. He's more powerful than you and me, but greater is he that is the Lord in us than he that is in the world. He's nothing compared to God. And even though the world and the enemy Satan comes against us, they cannot conquer or defeat God and his goodness and love that he has for you and for me. But have you ever noticed in the Gospels, and that's why I love reading the Gospels, that Jesus, he ministered and came to the weak. He came to those who are sick. He came to the sinners. He showed love and compassion to them. He was for them. He touched the lepers. He ministered to the sinners. He called the tax collectors and fishermen to follow him. And in Mark's gospel, it says that the common people heard him gladly. And it was the religious people that were shocked and scandalized by him. They called him a glutton and a wine bibber. They said, how can your teacher, as they, the religious leaders talking to the disciples, how can your teacher eat with sinners? And they condemned Jesus. And he responded by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance, which, by the way, is all of us. And Paul declared in this epistle that we're all stricken by the sickness of sin, but he has proven that he is for us, his love for us, providing forgiveness for us. He is for you. And if God is for us, and since he is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul's going to talk about how God is for us some more and the wonderful truth of there's no separation from his love. And that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And the implication is good things, important consideration that we'll look at next time. You don't want to miss it as we end this chapter. So, Father, thank you for these words given to us. And, Lord, we thank you that Paul, he does bring us comfort. He brings us consolation. That as we consider these things, that in those times where we don't know how to pray, that you're there to help the Holy Spirit. And then we can stand and rest on that which we can't know, that you are somehow working all things together for good for those who love you. You are working in eternity's perspective and views. And I pray that brings comfort to those of us who look at it and consider it. Your sovereign hand is working in our lives and always will be. And you're not going to withhold anything good. But Lord, we don't always understand. We're in the here and now. We think of the temp- temporary things that happen. But Lord, we can look at it at an eternal perspective. And Father, I also want to pray if there's anyone here, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you might be thinking, "My chosen? Well, the invitation now is given to you to come to him. It is always to come that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's recognizing your need to be forgiven because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to bring you life that's why he went to the cross he came with the purpose a dying for you specifically individually for your sins he did it on Calvary's cross he cried out it is finished I've done the work I have paid the price and then we know that our Lord was put into a tomb and he rose again and he proved He's the son of God he conquered sin and death So now you come realizing your need to be forgiven and surrender your life and heart to him. Call out to him right where you are. Today is the day of salvation. He is your salvation. There is none other. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. Forgive me. I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe that you died for my sins on Calvary's cross. And I thank you doing the work for me that I couldn't do, the work of redemption and now I come in faith and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that I'm forgiven as I come and plead the blood of Jesus and I believe I belong to you. I thank you for eternal life. I thank you with the relationship with the Father and this new beginning. to walk with you know you learn of you thank you for washing away my sins in Jesus name and listen if you prayed that prayer as the prayer team is going to be up front come up and tell them the decision you made or come talk to me afterwards we want to encourage you and bless you and pray with you but for all of us as we leave this place That we can be comforted, and there's a peace that passes understanding that comes in our hearts because we can stand on your.